Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Adventures with Aggie brought to you by Coco's Coffee House. Today we're hearing from Wilma Wong. She's a trainer and a wellness coach. She works primarily with swimmers, but she's going to tell us about her wellness philosophy, mind, body, and spirit. Please welcome Wilma. Wilma, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me onto your show. Awesome. I'm so excited that you're here and I can't wait to learn more about you. Um, but first, can we just kind of start with your background on who you are and what you do? Uh, I was a gymnast when I was younger and I basically started coaching when I was 15 years old. And But I, if I look back on my life, I've been coaching myself since I was five. So I coached, I actually taught myself how to swim and, um, and I've always been tinkering around with the body and seeing if I can find a faster way to do things. I remember even when I was a kid having braces and they put you in headgear and I, and I thought to myself, this is stupid. I could just retrain my mouth to, to hit a certain point. And so I did that. And so then I'd have to wear the head brace. And so it's just been, I think I'm an engineer more than a coach, but um, I'm like an engineer who's applying that idea of engineering to the body to help coach people to be a better athlete or a better human uh, so that they can function better in this world. That's awesome that it started like with yourself. Like you found things that you could fix yourself about your own body and things like that. Um, but let's kind of talk about, I guess, your philosophy as a coach. I've seen lots of really cool things about you online, your healing and wellness um, kinds of techniques and things. So if you were to describe yourself, your coaching kind of leadership style, um, how would you describe it? I look at coaching as the whole body and mind and spirit. It's mind, body, spirit. And you cannot separate one without the other because if you're, let's just say your body's in pain, that means something else is in pain, right? It's not just your, your muscles or your bones. It's what do you got going on emotionally? And so we know that the mind is in the body and the body is in the mind. And those are very, very, sounds like very simple words, but they are very, very complex. So when we say the mind is in the body, what are we saying? Well, if you are having a bad day, your knee could hurt. And then if uh, you think about a lemon, you start salivating. So the mind is in the body, but the body's also in the mind because if you're walking around hunched over, you're going to be depressed. So your physiology also dictates your mind. So it goes both ways. And it's very, very powerful that we have the ability as humans to tinker both sides of it. So if we can, let's just say you're depressed, are you depressed because of this? Well, yeah, could be. But if we change and stand up straighter, we can, or smile all day long, we can take ourselves out of that just from physiology. So if we hit it from like three different points of view, mind, body, and spirit, then I think we are much better at being whole, like holistic or whole in coaching. And we, I look at coaching, especially in my, like athletes, we're partners. We're not, I'm not telling you what to do. We are partners in creating something that's beautiful for you. So that is the best thing that people can do is, is do you own your own body and your mind and your spirit? And how do you take advantage of those assets that you have and expand upon them or 
if there's a weakness in there, how do you take that weakness and grow it stronger? Definitely. I have so many things flying through my head right now about that. Yes, <laughs> I, guess, please. I love it. Sure, sure. I think how I feel like with coaching, people think about the physical part of things a lot more so than they do about their mental fitness or something like that. So how do you encourage athletes who maybe don't prioritize that mindset and spirit that you're talking about, and they're only focused on the physical body side of things? How do you encourage them to balance those? Yeah, that's for some of the men. And the funny thing is I mostly coach men and they don't access. We're in our society taught to sort of like, we got to be stoic. We can't show our emotion. And particularly if you're a high level athlete, you have to suck it up because if it's painful, it's very, very painful. Some of the things that you're asked to do are painful and the best athletes are able to overcome that and push through it and keep on going. So it serves athleticism, but then there's a level at which you can plateau because if you don't go into the mind or the emotions, you will not get the best out of yourself. And then, so, um, I was just listening to somebody the other day and he was talking about if they can watch you breathe, they know you're, um, you're stressed. They go, what's going on with your life. They could just watch you breathe, walk into a room, watch their breath and go, um, did you break it with your girlfriend? Or, um, I mean, people, uh, he said, basically they have a machine, they can measure your, your breathing. And if they can make you hyperventilate, you shut off some of the stuff that says, okay, you, you, you can't talk about it. So you start going deep and all the emotions will start coming out. It's like, oh yeah, two years ago when I broke up with my girlfriend and they're still holding on to that. And then when they cleared it up, they cried or whatever they did to release it. They took the uh, breath test again, he grew 0.5 liters more lung capacity, like that fast. And I've seen it again and again, where I've seen people who, you know, supposedly are elite athletes and they're the fears in their eyes. I can see it. I was like, oh, well, your body's telling you not to do it. So somewhere on your mind, your subconscious mind is telling your body not to do it. And if, and and I, if you go deep enough, like, oh, well, you fell off a chair when you were three years old and now you don't want to dive well. So let's get rid of that fear. And then boom, you didn't have to coach them. Like their body knew how to do it. That's the crazy part. I'm not really coaching. The body knows a lot about what to do for itself. We have to go and find where it is that we have put it and create uh, an opening for people to access what their body already knows how to do. If we get rid of the little person inside saying, don't do it, you're going to get hurt. If we get rid of that, clear, heal the clearing or clear the trauma, then boom, body starts diving, going faster, running faster, breathing better, all the things that we want our physical body to do. So it's, it's really fascinating. I think we are we don't realize how much we are so intertwined, our emotions, our, our conscious mind and our body. And a lot of big athletes think that they can do everything. Well, if I will it, you know, and, and they've been successful at it and they, I will this to happen and doesn't work. They hit the plateau you got to go in deeper and you got to go through another doorway.
Definitely. Can you kind of expand on how you build the trust with these athletes who maybe they don't know why they're having that stress or they don't know why they've plateaued or something? Um, how do you how do you work to get them to open up? I think when you're working with I think when you're coaching, you're that relationship is is. I think people think we have platonic relationships in terms of like, we have to separate the doctor from the patient or the coach from the athlete. And it's, it's much more complex than that. You have to develop that trust. That's exactly what you're talking about. You have to develop trust where they, they know that you care about them and their well being, And when they feel that, then they're going to be able to open up and really let you go into the, into the mind where maybe other people, they're not willing to let in. Definitely. So at a typical training session, how do you kind of integrate the mind, spirit and body into one of these sessions? I think, like I said before, I feel like with coaching people think about the physical side of things and maybe the athlete doesn't focus on their mindset or their spiritual side during that session, but how do you make sure that all three of these are being touched on at the same time? I think there's a, I mean, I don't, I don't have a system per se to actually, okay, this is what we're doing here and there, but certainly breathing is an access point. Uh, you can definitely find a lot of that in there. Um, there are things that you can do like reflexive performance reset and touch certain parts of the body on your own. And you get to know your own body. And if you do it on certain points, in very specific zones, the most important zones, which is your diaphragmatic breathing and your psoas, which they call the windows and the emotions into the soul, and also your glutes, which drives you forward. So these things, um, if they're working well or they're not working, you can, you can already see, okay, something's going on here. And if those things aren't turned on, if those three things aren't turned on, you're not moving forward. It's literally like that, it's that simple. If your glutes aren't turned on, Addie, I don't know if your glutes are turned on, but if they're not turned on, you'll be sitting back, literally, physically and metaphorically, you'll be holding yourself back. And when they're turned on, you're gonna, your glutes, your butt is gonna move you forward, project you on a forward motion. And which is a really interesting concept because if you think around, people are sitting around all day long these days, which turns off their glutes. So are they really moving forward? Are they moving forward in life? Or are you sitting back waiting for something to happen to you? I mean, it's really interesting with this whole COVID and everybody sitting at home. A lot of people are just not getting up and walking and going places and exercising and doing things. And so we're literally sitting on our butts all day long and it turns it off. And if you're driving all day long, that turns it off. And so, yeah, you're going forward in a machine, but are you physically going forward in your life? That's the question. Right. I think sometimes it's the easiest things, right? Like the simplest things of activating the glutes or even people say like drinking a bottle of water every morning and you'll feel better that day. It's the easy, like simple things to say that people don't think about enough. Mm -hmm. I know I'm, I don't think about activating my glutes when I'm just sitting around, like you're saying on Zoom all day long, but I feel like people can do better at that. Just having their simple things. I had another mindset coach come on um, the, a few weeks ago and he was saying, I drink two bottles of water every morning when I get out of bed and I know it's going to be a good day. I was like, that's yeah. crazy. It's a great habit. Right. And it's all about habits. Yes, definitely. 
That was one thing that I did over COVID. I got one of those apps to remind me to drink more water. I was like, I felt so silly downloading that app. I was like, I shouldn't have to have my phone tell me to drink water, but I do. I feel better because I'm hydrated for the day and I just feel like I have more energy and can propel myself forward. But that was one of those things. I was like, I want this to be a habit instead of a ding on my phone every day. But yeah, yeah. But you know what? The thing about it, well, I, the, the phone is is a great tool, right? Sometimes we, we over rely on it, but if we're just building the habit, why not? I mean, if, if within 21 days, they say 21 days is, is the, the number of days to build a habit. I think it's actually a little bit longer than that, but if you get it going and you're successful, you can let go of it and use the tool and, and then you're done. I think it's fantastic. For sure. For sure. I had someone on my team asked me to ask you this. What, what does your routine look like? Are you somebody that wakes up and drinks two bottles of water every day? Do you have your reminder apps or how do you kind of fit your balance in your day? You know, I fluctuate, but I, I get up around four or five in the morning and I will meditate or breathe or read. Mm -hmm. um, I like to read new things and to stimulate the mind. And then uh, I work out from 7.30 to 8.30 or 8.45. And then, then I start doing paperwork type things. And that's, that's kind of, but, but I feel like I want to live to 150 years old. So when my body feels incredible, then my mind feels incredible. But when my body feels like it's decaying, then, then my mind feels like it's decaying. And what I see with a lot of older people, so I'm 52 right now, and if I'm living to 150, I've only gone one third of my life. So most people want to live till what, maybe 80. So what, what is a, a third of 80 is about, uh, you're 27 years old. Let's just say you're 27. So you're already a third of your life at 27 or 25, you know, somewhere around there. Right. And that's, you know, that's, so basically I'm equivalent to like a 27 year old right now. And I do actually hang out with a lot of 27, 28, 29 year olds and it keeps you young. And if you go in with the mindset that look, I'm only one third of my life through, I've got another hundred years to go. I'm a baby. I'm a baby. You're a baby. I'm a baby. And if you look at some old people, the reason they get old is two things. They stop learning and adapting to the changes in the world. The only thing that's constant is change. And if you don't learn that when you're young and then you get to be old and you're like, I'm just not gonna change anymore. Like that's, the, the, that's when you start dying, right? Because the only constant is a dead person, they're dead. But even when they're dead, they're being you know, eaten up, but that's the only thing that's constant. Otherwise we're constantly changing and evolving and hopefully that when we get older, as you get older, that you're going to be constantly learning and you never stop learning and you never stop growing. And I had a 103-year-old grandmother and I lived in the same room with her when I was in, I just had graduated from college and we shared a bedroom. And just because I was living in my aunt's house in Taiwan and it was, it was eye-opening. She was 103 years old, still reading books, trying to learn you know, get her vocabulary better. And that was an inspiration for me that I can be that old and still be cutting edge and looking at new things and learning. There's nothing stopping us from continuing to learn. And that's what excites me 
So if, if you have something that will keep you growing, whether mind, body, spirit, then you're going to be living a long time. And that's my goal. So and even 150 doesn't seem like a lot, but a lot of people never make it to a hundred these days. Definitely. Definitely. That's amazing. My family's also from Taiwan and um, I had a great grandmother, I think, and she lived to be around the same age, 104, 105, something like that. And she's active. Like that was the only word that I could think of just gardening, walking, doing crossword puzzle, you know, just fun things that she would do all the time. And I think that having that, the, the, my favorite word that you said was the curiosity of just wanting to know and wanting to do things. I think that during the last year as well, some people who didn't have that curiosity are kind of in a slump. They didn't know what to do because they were stuck at home. And here we are, you had to find something to kind of get you through those times when you had all the extra time and stuff. But um, yeah, curiosity, that's a good word for the year, I think. But um, great, I guess I wanted to move into something a little different. I know you speak and do lectures and programs and stuff like that um, about coping with stress and you've kind of touched on this, but can you kind of give a little bit of a sneak peek into what you would share in one, a kind of program where you're speaking at a school or some kind of lecture about coping with stress? Yeah, so one of the things that I teach is called the soothing method. And it's a combination of havening, RMDR, brain spotting, all these different kind of um, modalities that are sort of psychosomatic where you're using touch to be uh, part of the thing that makes takes you out of your own stress. So breathing is really important. So the best breathing for stress relief is inhale three, exhale six. So it's one to two ratio. So if you inhale four, then you got to do eight. Or if you do five, you're exhaling on 10. And that seems to calm the system down. And then as you breathe, and, and nasal breathing, by the way, is the most beneficial. If you're a mouth breather, then you've got a lot of stress going on, especially at nighttime. So there's people who tape their mouths with some like surgical tape. And then if you practice and you notice your breath, then that's the first thing to, um, that's an easy low hanging fruit type thing. So if you do this and you're stroking your arms and you don't have to be perfect or you can stroke your hands or you just do this, anything that's touching yourself in a very loving, gentle way. And that is primal. So, cause when we were babies, we were held and, and that's how we knew we were being taken care of. So that's primal. So if you hit the first primal of touch, that's the first primary sense. And then you do, and, and then breathing with your nose, which is what we did as babies as well. We actually cannot breathe with our mouths when we're, um, we're using it for eating, but we can't breathe with the mouth. So it's also very, very primal to no nasal breathe. So your nasal breathing and you're stroking your arms and you can do this, honestly, you can do this outside when you're stressed out. And then, and you can do one arm or you can do both arms and then, and then move your eyes back and forth. Because what happens is, and this is also very, very primal because of the eyes, when we see things that are good or bad, let's just say we see something bad, let's just say it's like a car accident and the car was coming at you from over here. Well, your brain remembers that. Now, you may not be conscious that you had that situation. So let's just say I'm in a car accident and it's coming over here. And now I'm going, if you watch my eyes, I'm like, see, I'm stressing. You can see I'm like stressing out because I'm, oh, that car is coming at me right here. So now your body's on high alert. 
but we can turn it off if we start rubbing our arms and then just literally staring at that point. It's very fascinating. It To me, I can feel people's energies and it'll feel like somebody is unraveling that memory to that pinpoint. And our eyes are like, oh, this memory is here. This memory when, you know, you had your first kiss, it's right there. This memory, oh, this bad memory. And they're all little pegs all over. It's like the matrix all over. And our eyes remember it. Whether we and our brains count, oh, there it is over there. And that one point is over there. And the crazy part is if you're not aware, if you forget, okay, well, that's where that car accident was. And somebody walked in your vision, suddenly you're like scared of this person, but you're not really scared of this person. You're really scared because that's the angle in which that car came at you. Does that make sense? So what you're doing is all you're doing is you're soothing yourself, breathing with your nose, and then staring at a point and you can unravel such trauma and stress. I did it with uh, somebody, well, actually the Mergatus and her, uh, at her hip surgeries when she was four or five months old, three, four, five months old, she had multiple hip surgeries. Now she can't talk and she can't remember, but, but it's still stored in there. And so she just stared and, and you could, you could feel her crying, feeling like that crying sensation was coming, the sadness. And then just doing it for three to five minutes, staring at the same point, it had a wave and then it went away. And then she feels better and lighter. And you can do this, cost you no money, just know how to do it. Just those three tips, breathing, touch to soothe yourself and to put your eyes in a spot that you find stressful and just kind of like focus, focus right there while you're calming yourself. And it's incredibly effective, really effective. Definitely. I feel, I feel calmer just watching you do it and listening. Yeah, that's exactly right. People have that experience. Just watching people soothe themselves is enough to give that to you. It's kind of like a borrowing benefits. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. That's awesome. I hope people take that away and do it after listening to the show, because that's great. That's another one of those. it, It sounds simple, right? Like it sounds like Anybody can do it. Like you said, no money. There's no consultation. You can do it yourself and hopefully feel a bit better afterwards. Um, awesome. I love that. I'm very calm right now. But um, just last question for you. I in all of my shows uh, on advice. So what is one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Relax. There's no timeline. And society has uh, a a timeline for you, but you're on your own timeline. Enjoy every moment to breathe, breathe and relax into every moment and enjoy the process. And every day has ups and downs. And that's a given that is constant. There are ups and there are downs, but can we be less high on our highs and less low on our lows and just being a nice even wave and enjoying ourselves. So every moment, breathe and enjoy the moment when it appears bad 
and enjoy the moment when it appears good. That's awesome. That's great advice. That's a perfect note to end the show on too. It's happy. <laughs> I love it. But Wilma, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. This was awesome. Thanks, Addie. Wilma, thank you so very much for coming on the show. Everybody tune in on Wednesday for another episode of our coaching series where we hear from Rob Taylor, the head coach of Auburn University's wheelchair basketball team. Thank you.